going to show them during this, but I'm not going to do that every week. Uh, so if you'll print those out and keep those, uh, I think it will help you. So uh, we're actually uh, doing something a little different instead of just continuing the series. In this last series, we looked at the problems uh, with the current Christian thinking regarding the coming kingdom. And we looked specifically at the problems of replacement theology and getting the gospel wrong. I called it, What's Next? Waiting for the Kingdom to Come, and I really ended it last week. At the same time last week, I began a pivot towards looking at the events of the end times. So in that message last week, I gave you an overview of the three major views of the Second Coming. Amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, and the three sub-variants related to the rapture, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, and post-tribulation, uh, rapture and resurrection. I want you to keep in mind that the pre- and mid-tribulation positions have this disappearing uh, rapture, this idea that uh, we will disappear and be taken to heaven. The post-tribulation view does not require that disappearing or secret return, only a visible return and gathering. But even that view has some problems that need to be sorted out. So I told you I would provide a chart for this week that would give you what I believe to be a more accurate understanding of the events of the end times, which is what I'm calling this series, Events of the End Times. And I said that we would begin with the idea of the last days. And I want to do that, but I need to add to that this idea of understanding the overlaps that I was talking about in the last uh, series. So if we're rethinking Christian eschatology from a more biblical and messianic perspective, it requires some undoing of replacement theology by putting Israel back as central to God's plan of salvation regarding this creation and mankind as we go through the transition from this present creation and its restoration into the new creation. Because just like the former creation before the flood overlapped with the present creation from the period of the flood to the Tower of Babel, so this present creation and the plan of salvation and the restoration of this creation overlaps with the new creation. And we need to see this, otherwise we'll become confused by the overlaps. And that's what led, I believe, to replacement theology in the first place. Too much use of the new creation being seen as if it was fully operational now. So, the idea of overlapping rather than replacing refers to how transition functions. The traditional way is to see everything before the cross as the old and everything from the cross as the new. And that's not really what's going on. There are overlaps. So if I'm making a new house on my property, I don't simply tear down the old house and build the new one with nowhere to live. I'll continue to live in the older house while the new one is being built. And only after the new one is in full operation will I tear down the old one. It's important to remember that God is bringing his promises to completion in this present creation, but he has also begun the process 
of making all things new in the new creation and in the body of Messiah, with Jews and Gentiles becoming one new humanity. So I'm going to share uh, the charts at this point, if I can make this work. Uh, it looks like I'm not showing up. Maybe you're just seeing uh, 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 Trevor's uh, station, so I don't know what that's about, but let me do this. There we go, Bruce. I can see it now. Okay. Okay, are you seeing, are you guys seeing the slideshow? Yeah. Okay. To the left, it has all of them. Okay. So let me, uh, oh, you're seeing it that way. Yeah, it's so, not present. Okay, uh, it's showing on my main screen. So I'm going to try something different. Uh, let me see if I can run it from there. Uh well, I guess it doesn't hurt if you can see the other ones. So I'll just leave that because that'll be easier to work with for me because I have to also be able to see some of my notes. So if you can see the chart, uh, in this first chart, you're going to see the beginning of the overlap as God began the press process of restoring this creation back to its ideal of the Garden of Eden. He started with Abraham... Uh, and Isaac and Jacob, and gave them promises of a people and a land who would be joined to the true God and the only God. And he gave to Israel the covenants that reached back to the time of Noah and the covenant made with all living things, and continuing through the Abrahamic covenant, through the Mosaic covenant, through the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant, these things unfold, they don't replace the former one, they expand and enfold, the new covenant would end up restoring and then ultimately replacing the present creation. Now this was established in the Torah and in the prophets, and Jesus, by his incarnation, his passion, his resurrection, and his ascension, which you see here, began uh, to bring the former promises to their fullness and then usher, usher also the beginning of the fullness of the new covenant and the new creation, which he started with his first coming, but will bring into fullness after his second coming. Now to do this, we need to look at the chart. You'll see the uh, uh, older earthly promises, covenants, and shadow that continue on past the time of the first coming of Jesus. But you'll see where I have the new heavenly begins with Jesus, and that one continues. Notice it's smaller, because the earthly one is moving towards its fullness, and the heavenly one has begun. And you'll notice I've placed in there the idea of the last days with the advent of Jesus coming. Now, in the second chart, let me get to that. In the second chart, we have an overlap continuing uh, that is important, but I want to use a 
text first to remind you why that first chart is the way it is. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20, passages you know well, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to bring into fullness, right? For, for I say to you that until heaven and earth passes away, that's this present creation, until heaven and earth passes away, uh, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass from the Torah until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do them will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom. So you'll see that at the bottom of this one. We've got the present earth and heaven. You know, I checked. I check every morning and every night. They're still there. And so in this second chart, you see the overlap with the present place that you and I are. You'll see the last days there between the ascension and the return of the Lord. And you'll see this little, we are here. Then you'll see the kingdom that is coming. And then you'll see the end of this heaven and earth. And then the fullness of the new creation. So, Jesus has ascended as our great high priest, having made atonement by his own blood, and he serves as our advocate with the Father. But he has another role. He, as the Son of the Father, who is the King of the universe, has been told to sit at his Father's right hand until he has made his enemies his footstool. Those enemies are the rebellious humans who will not fear God nor serve Him. God is working out His plan for judgment upon those and the salvation of those who call on the name of the Lord. So Jesus will return as King of Kings to sit on the throne of His father David to rule over Israel with His twelve uh, apostles who will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes. And then Yeshua will rule all of the nations of the earth with a rod of iron, keeping them in control. And the kingdom then will come. God's will will be done on earth in the same way that it's done on heaven. We will be changed at, the, at His coming, whether dead or alive, and we will reign with Him in that kingdom. We will be great or least in that kingdom based on our stewardship of obedience to the commandments. After the restoration of that kingdom, there will be a, uh, a final rebellion of men. And they will be destroyed along with this present heaven and earth by fire. So, in the third chart, and this is the one that we're going to be looking at for several weeks... Uh, we have the sequence and timing of events uh, with certain key terminology that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. But today I want to focus on the idea of the last days. And you noticed on each of the charts that, I, that the last days are listed always between the ascension and the return of the Lord. So I'm, I'm not sure whether I should leave this up uh, but I'll keep it ready in case I need it, and we'll see if uh, if we can make this work. Um, 
Are you guys seeing me or are you seeing Brian Stever's name? Right now, Bruce, we don't see anything. Okay, let me double check. Can now you see me? You. Now you see me? Okay. Well, then I'm going to I'm going to continue, uh, but I have to take a look at my notes. Having real trouble with my tremor today, so it's hard to hit the mouse. <laughs> so, the prophets spoke of these last days. There are some key verses that we need to see and we need to remember. Last week I told you that the Bible teaches that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night upon the wicked. It will not come as a thief in the night upon us. We are not of the night but of the day and we should act like it and be prepared for what we know is coming. And this is especially true if the pre-tribulationists are wrong and uh, we need to uh, be prepared for some persecution. So we're going to uh, briefly look at 2 Peter 3, 3 to 13. Uh, we've looked at that before, but I think it's important that we look at it again, because these are the passages that talk about the last days. So uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3, uh, Peter says, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, here we are, Mockers will come with their mocking, following their own lust. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it was from the beginning. And when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, the earth was formed out of water and by water, and that world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing for any of you to perish, but all to come to repentance. Talking about those who are and will become believers. But he says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night when the heavens will pass away and the ro with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since that's what the result of this is, and it's going to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed with burning and the elements will melt with, the, with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, this is really, really important. The apostle here is letting us know that in the last days, we're going to have mockers who are going to deny the coming of the Lord, because after all, he said, I come quickly, and it's been 2,000 years. And because they are ignorant of the plan of God, and they're ignorant of the patience of God, that he is waiting for those whom he has called to himself to all come into that fold. 
That's why we should never stop sharing the faith. But the things he has said that will come to pass should motivate us to both holy living and righteous living. That is obedience to the commandments of God. Not for the purpose of being saved, but to demonstrate our belonging to the Lord and his kingdom. Now, Timothy is given some instruction about the last days by the Apostle Paul, and we have that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So I'd like you to take a look at that. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Here's what the Apostle says. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Boy, we see that, right? Malicious gossips, welcome to Facebook, without self-control, brutal, and haters of good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But they're going to hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its actual power. Avoid these people who are like this. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate responsive and manipulated women, weighed down with sins, led by various impulses. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these will oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make any further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was. So now you have followed my teaching and my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love and perseverance, and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Leicester, and persecutions that I endured, and out of all of them the Lord delivered me. Indeed, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. From a child you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Now, it's really important to understand that Paul tells us that in the last days, all of these characteristics will be seen in humanity. But there will be also believers, or pretenders, if you will, those who are imposters, he calls here, who will hold to the words. They will have a form, a facade of piety, but they will deny its power. They will actually be the same as the world. They will not have the power of the gospel unto salvation. 
These false religionists, he says, should be avoided because they do evil in the name of God and they corrupt others who are easily manipulated. Instead, Timothy is to hold to the discipleship given to him by Paul, which comes with persecution. He's to continue in those things and in the scriptures, all the scriptures, which he has known from childhood. The word of God is our light and the truth is the word which we hold. Now in this text, Paul illustrates two events that we're going to talk about later, but we need to talk about them because they happen all through the the last days. And they must precede the coming of the Lord. That is assimilation or a falling away of so-called believers and a persecution or tribulation of believers because of our faith and our adherence to the word. Now, Paul had already done this somewhat in talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy. I'd like you to turn back with me there. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says to Timothy, The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. These people, these pastors, these teachers are all going to claim that the Spirit has revealed something to them. They're going because God talks to them directly. Boy, we have that all through the church now. God told me this and God told me this. And they are listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons because it doesn't conform to the word. The scripture says, if the prophets prophesy and it is not according to the law and the prophets, it's because there is no light in them. Now Paul goes on to say that by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, these guys will ultimately forbid or restrict marriage and they will alter biblical approaches to food and diet which means that the Word of God sanctifies what we can eat and what we cannot eat, and we are to thank God when we partake of it. It is sanctified by the Word of God and by prayer. That is amazing. We are living in a time when diet is all about health, and marriage is all about personal happiness and nothing about the Word of God. And unfortunately, the world went that way, but the church has gone that way as well. So the question is, are we in the last days? Well, I want to show you a couple of passages that I think indicate that the last days began with the apostles and continues to our time and to these events that we're going to be looking at. So I want you to look with me at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to um, just look at the first two verses. The writer to the Hebrews says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and many ways, he's talking about the Tanakh, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the world. In other words, with the coming of his Son, we have entered into the last days. Now remember, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. We're only a couple days into it, right? But we're in those last days. 
So the writer to the Hebrews believed and was telling the Jewish believers in Yeshua that they were in the last days because Messiah had come and taught. Secondly, in 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John says this uh, in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know it is the last hour. They went out from us because they were not really of us. For had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it could be shown that they were not of us. Now John is saying we're in the last hour, not just the last days. Because Antichrist is one of the last events. And he says we already have a whole bunch of these Antichrists. Now he's not talking about the beast, the Antichrist at the end. We'll talk about that later. But he's saying is that the spirit of Antichrist, which he refers to in this book, and the behavior of the Antichrist, those who follow the beast and not the Lord, the mark of the beast is on them and not on the Lord, he says they're already here, we know that it's the last hour. And they are drawing unto themselves false, these false teachers, they are drawing unto themselves uh, disciples. Paul said to the Ephesians that that would happen. People will rise up and they'll draw disciples to themselves. They'll be teaching them things that will tickle their ears and give them what they want to hear. A way to live the full life of the culture and still be saved. You don't really have to live in the kingdom. You don't really have to live a different life. You don't really have to face persecution for what you believe. You can go with the flow and you can still be saved. So, yes, we are in the last days. Kind of yes and no. Yes, in the sense that the last days began with the first coming of the Lord. And they continue until the final events take place. The apostles lived as if the Lord might come in their lifetime. And we must do the same. I'll talk about why that's important later in the series. But we're not doing that because his coming is going to be at any moment and we're going to disappear. But because the events that serve as the birth pangs and the signs of his coming which ebb and flow all around us, all through these latter days, and we must be prepared. We must prepare our children and our converts to watch for His coming, lest they fall away or lose heart because of suffering that they've been told they won't go through. And we're not in the last days in the sense that the current events that we see are not necessarily signs of his immediate coming. That means that the Lord could delay further and you and I might pass away before he returns. As that happened to the apostles who expected he would come right away and then realized they would die before he came. But that overlap of near and yet not yet is not a problem. But it's an opportunity for us to learn what God has told us about how to live in the overlap between the kingdom among us and not yet in full and the day of the Lord approaching but not here yet. So for next week we're going to look 
uh, again at these charts. And I hope you'll look at that. Let me just pull that one up for a second, uh, if I can get it to do that. Okay, if you uh, look at that chart, you'll see a yellow box, a block just above and to the right of the Great Tribulation on the chart. It gives three signs. The sign of the sun, the sign of the moon, and the sign of the stars. When I was struggling with all of this stuff, I began to notice that those things are mentioned by the prophets. They are mentioned by our Lord in His discussion with His disciples and quoted again by the apostles in their teachings. And it becomes a dividing mark uh, for that which will happen before the Great Tribulation and that which will happen after the Great Tribulation, which is what we need to start with. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Uh, that homework assignment is to take a look at these things. The sun turning to darkness, the moon turning to blood, and the stars falling from heaven or, or not getting their light. I want you to look at all the texts for them. We're going to go over them. I'm not going to give them to you now because I want you to look at them for yourself, but I will give you one. The book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 28 to 32. And that will be the basis of what we talk about. We're going to take the pieces of this chart and begin to put them together with the biblical text so that we will understand this series of the events of the end times uh, better. So with that, I'm going to close this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we will uh, do Q&A. Father, we're grateful for your word. And you have told us, Father, what would happen. So that we would not be afraid 